listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, before we start today's episode, I want to apologize to all of our listeners in a very sincere and heartfelt way. You want to know why? Because you definitely owe them one for the things you say. <laughs> That's quite possible. But actually, I wanted to apologize because I've bequeathed, I've given the command of the recording to you, which means this podcast will be like seven hours long. They're going to have to listen through the night and into tomorrow. Blame Jeff, because if he never hits stop, if he just keeps talking and talking and talking and talking, you know why. Yeah. They'll know it when I kick you off and it's just a single voice. <laughs> <laughs> and you go on a monologue for 78 minutes. <laughs> Who knows? I might open up the phone lines. <laughs> what is this, WKRP? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today, in our ongoing series on growth, after having a couple of really great guests talking about different facets of growth, today we're going back to the well, kind of back to the core, I guess, which is how do you sell more of your existing services or products to new customers, which I guess I would argue new clients is sort of isn't that the whole purpose of marketing in most organizations? Like, isn't that what marketing is number one task is to do? But I think that's the, that's the subject of today. So how do you want to break that apart? Where do you want to start? You nailed it once again. You, I love the way you set that up because most people would say, well, I'm just going to sell my existing product to customers I don't have, right? That's a standard strategy firm recommendation. And, and real quick, don't you think that most marketing organizations, that's like, they don't even think about other options. <laughs> that's just that's, right, the option. right. that's why we're here. Right. And before everybody, you know, deletes this this episode, I think this is really important because the firms and the marketers and the practice leaders, in my mind, are not thinking critically enough about what it takes to do what they're being asked to do. They assume that this is just business as usual. And I don't think that's the way to think about it. And that's what we're going to talk about. And hopefully when we're done, you're going to have some different ways to be thinking about how you sell existing products to new customers, new logos, if you will, that aren't buying anything from you right now. All right. So let's break this down. You made the, the note in here that the most typical thought from most firm leaders is, well, they're just not buying because they don't know who we are. They've never heard of us. And you said in our prep for this call, that might be true some of the time, but it's probably not true most of the time. So just let's talk about that maybe misplaced notion. Well, this gets back to, I think we did a podcast on this, on brand awareness versus brand relevance. And most firms think if somebody is not buying from them, it's simply a matter of them not knowing that the firm exists. And fair enough, that that could be true. But in my experience, that's not normally the reason firms aren't buying from you. So the follow-on to that might be, well, they know us, they've heard of us, but they don't know what we do. So they may know that the name of the firm, but they don't know that I have this solution or that service or offer this. So they go elsewhere to buy it because they don't think I have it. And that happens even with existing customers. But to me, that's both of those often reflect brand relevance. You're not showing up in a way that 
makes your solution, your firm, your consultants, your ideas relevant to the problem that buyers have. The other reason people aren't buying from you is that they actually do know your firm. They are familiar (laughs) with your solutions, but they are consciously choosing not to buy from you. And that's hard for people to, to hear, but it makes perfect sense for a particular customer to not buy from your firm if you have very tightly, strategically focused the value proposition in a way that meets the needs of an ideal client. You know, the ideal client is the client that values the value that you offer. And there are lots of businesses in the same industry that are the same size that see problems differently. So they, they may know you, but they may choose not to buy from you. Now, how you drive growth based on that understanding of the market is going to be very different. Okay. So let me try to understand what you said there. There's, there, there's a couple of dimensions for what would be blocking growth, right? It would be growth with new customers. It'd be one, they don't know who you are. Two, they know of you, but they don't know what solutions you have to bear or what problems that your organization is designed to solve. Or three, they've purposely chosen not to buy from you, even though they know your firm and they know the problems you solve and they know the solutions you have for some other reason altogether. Maybe there's some negative perceptions about the firm, or maybe more clearly, there's just not a sense that the problem you solve is big enough to make a switch, switching costs. You've talked about that sometimes. Or is not aligned with how that potential buyer is defining the problem. All right, let's use some examples to help make some context on this. Here's an obvious example. Middle market company needs accounting services, right? I'm going to assume that a middle market company has probably heard of Deloitte, ENY, KPMG, PwC, right? So they have heard of them. That's number one, you've cleared the awareness. Number two, they may be familiar with the fact that you offer accounting services to middle market or fast growth companies or something like that, so that you could be relevant to them. But they may know both of those things, but choose not to buy from you because you're too expensive. You send junior people. You are arrogant and condescending because <laughs> they're small, right? And you're the you're the big global firm or they just don't see themselves ever wanting to deal with a big behemoth. They want to deal with somebody locally, right? So their whole set of buying criteria are different even though, you know, a growth strategy may say let's go after the middle market and they could have all the need for your services. They could afford to pay for them but they choose not to do it. I mean, to me, that's just a relatively straightforward example. And you could apply that to strategy firms or IT firms or whatever. All right, let's flip the tables now. So let's say we talked about really large firms that have really high brand awareness, right? So anybody in business probably knows EY, they probably know Deloitte. But there's hundreds of thousands of firms that provide similar solutions or whatever that people haven't heard of. So how does that growth strategy look different between one or the other. So in that case, they've heard of you, 
they may be open to your solutions, but they need to understand how they're going to be relevant to the issues they may have. So now you're starting to begin to split into kind of micro issues, micro solutions within a given practice in order to target more specifically a type of buyer and issue and build relevance around that. So let's let's say, you know, E&Y is a, a good example. And, and I think they did a phenomenal job with this, by the way, because I competed against them. Their ability to carve out a relevance to fast growth venture-backed companies, you know, with their Entrepreneur of the Year program that's been running for decades is a great way to pinpoint a marketing in order to attract, you know, new customers through a very specific relevance, right? What's so great about that program is fast growth, VC backing, all necessitate a certain level of of sophistication that a a regional firm probably doesn't have, but that marketing also is very emotional in that it feeds, you know, the ego. And sometimes that's not fair to say the ego of the entrepreneur, because so many egos of entrepreneurs are selfless and tied up in their cultures and in their people. But for the most part, that recognition uh, that, that EMY gives through that program and the whining and dining is an excellent way to really speak to both the business needs and the emotional needs and build that relevance to penetrate with any number of products related to fast growth companies. What's underneath the hood of a program like that? I haven't really thought much about that program in a long time. You know, because if it's going to unlock growth, it's not a tactic, right? It's not a thought leadership campaign or it's not a, but it's a, it's sort of a broad reaching program that enables the firm at scale to connect with potential buyers in a certain ideal client category, sort of anywhere in the country, depending on how they run the program, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I would call it a program. Okay. And this is right up your alley and Babu Day's alley, I think, to, to some degree. It is about a comprehensive and deep understanding of the market and the needs of that market. And this is what comes when you have an ideal client. You, you learn more, you learn faster, and you're able to deliver solutions to that market because you're focused very tightly on it. And it's a way of being. The key is to have your finger on the pulse of that market. But more important, and I think in particular in the context of what we're discussing today, is that you have to realize that that engine is often focused on your ideal client and you're attracting those ideal clients probably fairly easily if you've got it right. But if you're going to start to move out into other clients, i.e. new clients that aren't buying from you, that message and that approach is going to have to be adapted in some way because of the example that I gave before, there are certain buying criteria that your solution is meeting. Remember, your ideal client values the value you provide. So if you're going to go after new customers, you have to change the value you provide if you're going after somebody that values a different value. Uh, it, it sounds, as I'm speaking, it's, it seems so rudimentary, but it just doesn't get done. 
regularly. We think we can take what we already have and just push it into a new market with a different type of customer just because they share some kind of demographic makeup and it just doesn't make sense. And that's why I think this podcast is important is is because you have to have different approaches when you start to move away from your core. And we haven't even talked about, you know, what if we take the existing product as it already is and move it to a completely different industry or a completely, yeah. you know, different size or something like that, which to me it's it's along a continuum, but that's much more significant than what we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Well, I think it's interesting as you talk, and I'm going to throw a couple things out sort of in random, I guess. The first thing is that when I think about when firms try to open up growth strategies from a marketing perspective, one of the mistakes, and we're tripping into mistakes here, one of the mistakes I see firms make again and again is this idea that, well, let's go talk to all our existing customers and understand what it is they really like about working with us and our services and our offerings. And then we'll go tell that story to new customers. But it never really works for obvious reasons, right? Like the the reason you got hired at the onset usually looks nothing like the reason you're retained. You're retained for, you know, intimate knowledge of the client's business or or the nature of the working relationship, or as you've pointed out so many times before, it's just too costly to switch. Almost none of those things can be, you know, evaluated by a new prospective client. So, you know, when you go market those things, it sounds hollow and fake and completely ridiculous. Right. And as you say, the sample's too small. Yes. It's navel gazing. It's navel gazing because if you're big four, let's say you only have, you know, 25% of the market, hypothetically, right? The other 75% of the market has chosen not to work with you. They've chosen to work with the other three. And there's a very specific reason for that. It's uncovering that reason at scale in order to open up the opportunities to go into take share from other firms. But if you think you're just going to go sell what you have to those clients, you're going to waste a lot of time and effort. You really are. And it's, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, I agree totally. And and now I'm going to pivot again real quickly. So I have a lot of research in the field right now for Rattleback, for clients, sort of surveys we've got out there for different things we're doing in different channels. And a study that I have out in the field that won't be fully available until sometime in December, you know, after the, this podcast releases is sort of, a, it's about the impact of COVID on client advisor relationships at a high level, how entrepreneurs and how, how middle market companies in this case feel about the, the performance of their advisors through the pandemic. And the data is going to be pretty interesting and probably pretty startling for a lot of professional services firms. Well, the reason I share this, and when I have the full data, I'll put it out there, is that what I think firms need to recognize walking into 2021 is that whatever they did not do in 2020 is going to be baggage hanging over their heads 
and from a client perspective and a growth perspective. However, they stepped up or did not step up in the pandemic to help their clients is going to be remembered. <laughs> so as you're kind of laying out new growth strategies, I say this because I do think there's going to be a lot of clients that are going to be shopping their service providers. They're going to shop their accounting firms. They're going to shop their legal firms. They're going to shop their consultants. They're going to shop their technology services providers because they're a little bit disappointed with what they got in this window of crisis from some of them. And so thinking about really where you're going to go get new clients right now is going to be a really critical thing because there's probably going to be some opportunities out there. It's kind of a long-winded way of saying that. I don't know if that makes any sense. I love that. As you were describing it, (laughs) recalling the conversation we had on a podcast during the start of COVID with one of your service providers. (laughs) But there is an opportunity to completely rethink, you know, this area of how can I sell existing products to, to new clients and one of the easiest, I think, and, and, and this could be for professional services firms, but, you know, SaaS companies and, and others are, are relevant too, is identifying a disaffected group of competitive clients and go after them in a very targeted way and exploit the weakness of, you know, the existing provider. You know, if you know a provider is running into people problems or financial problems, or there's some kind of service delivery issue, or they've lost, you know, a key thought leader and, you know, they no longer have the same relevance of brand in those areas, but it's looking for the weaknesses of competitors that align with your strengths and hitting eight of 10 of the buying criteria or seven of 10 of the buying criteria is an effective way of, of going to market like this. All right, let's shift gears real quick before we run out of time. And here's what I want to do. We have about maybe five, 10 minutes left. Let's each of us just give one piece of sort of concrete advice as it relates to how to go expand, you know, into new client relationships using, you know, existing products and services, you know, what's one piece of advice that you would give a firm that has this top of mind going into 2021? Mine's the same advice I give all clients is you have to identify your ideal client. So in this case, it would be your ideal client too, who values the value you provide, or in this case could provide. But it's getting really clear and focused, not on kind of a macro set of the market, but a very finely tuned focus subset of the market and and going after that like a laser. I like that. Might be an extension of that then. I, I like that a lot. And it's that be crystal clear on the problem you solve for that ideal client. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. a lot of times what happens in firm marketing is that, uh, you've heard me say this many times, they fall in love with the solution. We have this solution. Now let's go out there and find people who have this this problem. And or, <laughs> I shouldn't use that. Go out there and find people that need this solution, whether or not there's a problem or not. It doesn't even matter. And I'll use an example. I got an inquiry from, I get these a lot. We we're, we use a PEO service provider. And so I got a call from one of the, there's two or three really large global PEO providers just within the last couple of weeks. And, and her call was essentially, it was an email saying, well, we've got a price promotion to work with, you know, businesses like yours, you know, we're really aggressive on, you know, right now, do you want to have a conversation? 
course, my answer is no. Um, and to your point, it's because there's no problem. There's no stated, <laughs> there's no stated problem that I have. And there's, you know, right out of the gate, a misalignment between what I value in that relationship and the value that she's trying to sell right out of the door, which is price. Mm-hmm. You know, so complete lack of understanding of, 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 of any problem whatsoever. So you know, start with the problem, not the solution. And I just think that's those two things together. Anytime you're trying to grow anything, if you can focus on the ideal client, focus on their problems and market to those things, your chances of success are much higher than not, than, you know, focusing on the solution or something different. So, And that is a great example, Jason. Because, you know, it's open enrollment season and they're making a bet that employers are going to see, you know, 10, 20 percent rate increases. And the issue is, you know, save money. So let's just go out there and price shop and have people jump over to us and we can, you know, get that business easily. But the problem is that's not good business. You know, it's not good long term business because anybody that's going to jump after a, an email like that is going to jump again next year. Yeah. And do you really want those clients? So again, you have to identify clients, uh, the ideal client that value the value you provide. And if all you're, you know, all I value is price and you provide price, great. But the next price one that comes up, I'm gone. That's just not a good strategy. Yeah. Well, I'm going to wrap us here, even though I'm not in control of the button anymore. So I can't actually turn us off, but uh, I guess I can leave and you can keep talking and people can keep listening, but I think we're at a good stopping point. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was a weird podcast. It kind of went all over because it's an odd topic. It really is an, an odd topic. And I hope it was valuable to people. The bottom line is think about how you're going after markets that are not your current markets, even though you may think they are. By definition, they're not because they're not buying from you. But I think the moral of the story that I took away from a lot of the setup you did is just that set aside all of your assumptions. You know, your assumption is Mm -hmm. that they just don't know who you are. And hence, Mm -hmm. we just put marketing in front of them. Just put thought leadership in front of them. Run a bunch of webinars. Just do all the things that marketing units are built to do. But if you don't step back, (laughs) using your favorite phrase, if you don't step back before you do that and really think deeply about really why they might want to have a conversation with you and what they value and how you solve a problem for them, it's all sort of wasted noise. Um, And and looking back on 2020, I feel like there was a ton of wasted noise out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So Panic. Panic. um, All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week. This was good. All right, buddy. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, oh.